0: Well, good evening. So I was, um, we're sitting here on Valentine's Day, and so, you know, it's, all of us have, have a journey that led us to this point, point. and I was thinking through my Valentine's Day, and when, when uh, Jeff first asked me about coming up and teaching tonight, I said, you know, it is Valentine's Day, and he's, he had forgotten, and I said, I've got to clear it with my wife, and she, she, uh, she knew I had wanted to do it, so, you know, she gave me the, okay, I can see you want to do this, so go for it. So, but you know, it's, it's, it was. We've, been, we've been married over 28 years, so we, we kind of understand each other on this. And, you know, she's been married to me, and she basically is used to me at this point. So, but you know, our journeys, we, we came from extreme opposites. She was in a home that, you know, pretty much did not talk about God, had no regard for God, and really had this. Parenting theory of, you know, figure it out for yourself. I came from a home that, you know, a day after I was born, I think I was in church. And, you know, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if the doors were open, we were there. And my dad was an educator, so one day I convinced him to let me stay home from church. It was a Wednesday night, I think. And he said, well, you can do that, that's fine, but I'm going to give you an assignment. So he gave me a research assignment in a Bible passage so that while they were at church, I had to do my, my Bible study. So it was a one time, and after that, I realized it was easier just to go to church. But that's kind of where we started. And, it, and God brought us together, and we converged, you know, when, when we ultimately got married. And then our journey has connected. And the reason I'm using, you know, journey it's obviously our church's name. But it's, it's a neat word for me because... Um, you know, very quickly after we got married, we connected with a church plant that went in in Moore Park, and the slogan of this church plant was "Life is a journey," with the idea being that you know each time you come together, and you know some people are you know haven't come to belief that are, you know, hopefully when they come together with, with the church, are taking a step in their journey toward Christ. And for those who do believe that the day at church is another step along the journey with Christ. So it's this, it's this neat idea that, you know, all of us are on this, this trek and our life is changing and, it, and it's a journey from wherever we are to kind of one step closer to God. And so it's funny because, you know, then our kids got older. We came back to town and, you know, they were in the youth groups and all that stuff. So we, we had the sense we needed to be more of a traditional thing. And God was still placing in us kind of this, um, you know, this, this love of the new church. The, you know, churches that are really kind of on the forefront of let's get out there and get in the middle of a community and take on this community for Christ. And, you know, ironically, or it's amazing, again, we've attached... With, with journey, and that word has emerged again for us of, you know, journey, and, you know, this, obviously our slogan is a little different, but, you know, loving the world one person at a time, and so it's, it's interesting for me to realize journey has been a word that describes so much, so, and the reason I'm on this, this rabbit trail is, you know, tonight we're in our passage in John, we're going to come together in a, um, and see a character emerge, And he's a neat character because we get to see a bit of his journey. You know, tonight's appearance is sort of the first we see, and then he's going to show up a few chapters later, we're going to see a little more of his journey, and ultimately we see him, you know, toward the end of the the book of John, and it's neat to see, and, you know, we we, kind of come and say, okay, we see these glimpses, but I, I believe that, you know, when life is done here, and we're, you know, ultimately in the heavenlies. I believe we're going to meet our character tonight because I think the pieces we see of his journey, to me, show that this is a man who moved from, you know, the questions we're going to see starting tonight to ultimately this, this commitment to Christ. And it's, it's a neat picture. So I can't give away step two and three too much because somebody's going to teach about that down the road and they'd, they'd be upset if I told you everything. But we're going to start with his first few steps. So we're in John, John chapter 3 tonight. And so what... Um, John 3, we're going to go verses 1 through 8. So if you don't mind, let's pause and pray. And let's, and let's look at what God has to say to us. God, we thank you for this evening. Thank you that uh, we can come together, that we have this, this place to meet, to gather, to talk about you, talk about your word. And I just pray now, as we focus our attention on what you have to say, uh, that your spirit would just move in this place, that um, people would hear what you have to, have to say to them. And I pray that you'd use my words to your glory. Amen. So we're in three, uh, chapter 3, 1 through 8, and I think we have a slide, it's, and it reads like this. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, "'How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he?' Jesus answered, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, "'You must be born again.'" The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So verses 1 and 2, we meet our protagonist, the the, the gentleman I was talking about, Nicodemus. Great name, and we we see him show up. And, you know, we talked a bit a few Sundays ago about um, another ruler that came to Jesus. But, you know, Nicodemus is described, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee. Now, a lot of us are familiar with the Pharisees, and in a way, you know, they, we have sort of this very negative view of them, and you know, obviously Jesus had some you know, very harsh condemnation for, for their attitudes and some of their ways, but you know, at, at the same token, you have to be a bit impressed with these guys, because these were people that were just absolutely dedicated to you know, memorization of the Scripture, um, you know, last year, not this year. I thought to myself, it'd be kind of neat to memorize a book of the Bible. So, you know, January one comes, and I was my, I was going to go for it. And you know, I made it maybe 15 verses in, and yeah, you know, I didn't quite get there. And I felt okay. I'm getting too old for this, or something, because it, you know, when I was a kid, it used to just happen, and now it's maybe there's too much clutter, or it's it's just tough. And you you hear when you know people, you know, Pharisees, you know, these guys memorized good chunks of the Old Testament. That's impressive. And so, yeah, as a minimum, we ought to just be impressed that this is a discipline they had. And, you know, they were very careful in their routines and to make sure they followed the law. And, yes, they were legalistic, and, you know, that, that wasn't a great motivator, but still very impressive how they sought to be godly people. And so, you know, Nicodemus is one of those. And, he, and what we see in Nicodemus, and this is kind of neat, even though he came at night, and clearly, you know, Jesus was kind of on the fringe at the time where, you know, he was just coming in. So the, the Pharisees, you know, were obviously noticing him because, you know, if you look here, he says, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God. And so, you know, the, obviously the Pharisees were starting to talk about Jesus. And, you know, Nicodemus, for whatever reason, chose at nighttime, kind of, you know, the sneaking over to find out what's, what's the story here. And, you know, as I say, you can't really blame him too much because, you know, it was a bit of a scandalous thing. This was, this was a big deal. But what's neat about it, and this is where it's kind of the first step of the journey, for whatever his motivation, Nicodemus, you know, made the effort to connect with Jesus. He came to Jesus and started sort of his journey to figure out what is is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so, for for me, that's a neat thing because that's, you know, the step of anybody who's ultimately coming to God is to start the process of, you know, connecting with God and and asking questions, who is Jesus? And you see that he says, (coughs) excuse me. You know, we we know that you're from God because you can do these signs. And, you know, what's interesting is we live in an age, I don't know that signs would awe us quite as much as in this time. You know, we've all now seen, you know, so many special effects and all these things in movies. I think most of us would just assume it's an illusion or a movie. And, you know, we kind of have, you know, shifted our mindset a, a great deal on this. You know, we you know, go to the magic shows, the pin and tellers and all these things, and, you know, they, they move cars and things fly around, and you just go, oh, that was a great trick. And so, you know, and it, I don't know that in Jesus' time it, it, it was a very different scenario than and the signs he did. You know, we, we just came off of the, the, you know, the Cana marriage uh, wedding feast where he turned, you know, water into wine. And that, you know, that was certainly one of the signs that Nicodemus was referring to. But, you know, whatever the signs that were going on, the healings, the extraordinary stuff – Nicodemus took notice and came to Jesus. So that's that's a neat thing for us to notice is at step one. And then you go to verse three, um, where you know Jesus' answer, in some ways, was more of a statement because he I think sensed Nicodemus was not there to really check out about the signs. He was really questioning who is Jesus. So Jesus, rather than answer the question, kind of basically stated, got to the, the root of what was being talked about. And he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless, some, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's, you know, that's, that is a pretty stark, you know, statement to throw out there. And I, I find an interesting structure to that response. The first is uh, that, you know, when you see, unless one is born again, it's a, he's making a statement that it's a necessary thing. So the only chance you have of seeing the kingdom of God is through Jesus, and you have to be born again. So it's not a... Here's a choice of one of five items. It's a singular thing. Unless someone is born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And that's a pretty interesting statement, especially in our current time climates and culture. People don't like the exclusivity of that statement. You know, they want to kind of say, well, that's a nice way, but it's, there's a lot of other ways. And people don't like the notion, and what Jesus is saying here is, it is the way. And we see it in a few other passages. You know, First John 5, 11, and 12 which I think we have for you, the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. And here it is, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And, you know, in the causality stuff, this is a, it's showing you, it's, it's a necessary thing, a sufficient thing. If you have Christ, you have life. If you don't have Christ, you don't have life. There's not any wiggle room, no ambiguity to these statements. And I think this this, uh, statement very much parallels what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. There is one way to see the kingdom of God. There's one way to life, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so that is such a definitive, undeniable statement. That doesn't mean, you know, we walk around in great arrogance that we figured it out, but it just tells us there's not room for, you know, little wishy-washy and wiggle room here. There's no question. There is one way to life. And the other thing that's interesting, if we go back to our passage, it says, he who is born again can see the kingdom of heaven. And the can is an interesting word because you cannot see it without being born again. But it doesn't mean you definitely will see the kingdom of heaven if you are born again. And that's, I, I, I think we want to look at that a little more tonight. But it's an interesting word of, it's not just, If if you're born again, you will see the kingdom of heaven. It's saying if you aren't born again, you cannot. And so what I wanted to do is pause here because uh, we have have our tables, and I want you to kind of think about in your tables a pair of questions um, that come from this. The first is, what is the kingdom of God? Because Jesus is saying if you aren't born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And the second is, how do we get from can see the kingdom of God to actually seeing the kingdom of God? Um, and so if you don't mind, take a moment or two and just kind of think about those questions and then we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay. Well, I'm new, new at this, so I don't know if I'm supposed to answer these questions, but I'm going to keep going. And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to them a little bit. But um, you know, I think probably as I keep going, you'll hear my, my thoughts on these as well, because I'm going to re-ask these questions in a few minutes, or at least the second one, and you'll see. So Nicodemus came, and Jesus said, you must be born again. And what we see in Nicodemus's response is that he exactly figured out what Jesus was saying. And what, you know, as soon as Jesus said it, Nicodemus starts asking the, the obvious, we've heard it enough that we aren't that shocked by the idea of being born again. You know, it, anybody who has been around the church for a while, we've heard it enough, oh, born again, yeah. Nicodemus was shocked by it, and his response showed us exactly he understood what Jesus was saying, and it is a shocking thing, which is born again. Are you saying I have to get back in my mother's womb and do this again? I mean, he, he took the very literal meaning of what was being said there and goes, That is outrageous. It's shocking. And he wasn't being you know, snotty here because, you know, Jesus and you see in Jesus' response, this was a very sincere dialogue. It was not a gotcha, haha. But we've heard it a thousand times. It doesn't shock us. Nicodemus was shocked. How in the world do I get born again? And so that's, you know, that's the question that he came through and it shows us there's no, you know, Nicodemus got it. This is a radical second thing, a second birth, not just a, you just got to kind of feel good. Jesus was telling Nicodemus something extremely radical and Nicodemus, you know, sensed it. And so, if we keep going in verse 5. Jesus then went on to explain he said truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God okay so you start there you go okay water now for those of us dads and any mom here who's you know moms are all present dads used to be in the waiting room smoking the cigarettes now we're in the birth room too anybody who has been a participant in the birth of a child there's messy and water involved it's, it is a mess but it's so cool and it's, you know, and, and you know, the first, my, first, my first kid, they tried to get me to snip the cord, and I said, that's why we're paying you. You do all the gooey stuff. But the, my daughter came, and you know, the doctor handed me the scissors, and he made me clip them. And it's kind of weird, but it's kind of cool, too. But you realize, okay, that physical birth, it's, it's a neat event. It's a messy event. There's water and all this stuff. And all of us have gone through it. We just didn't know it. That's how we all start. But this, the second part, and Jesus said water and the spirit. The second, the second birth, the birth that he's saying you must be born again to, somehow you have to be born of the spirit. And that's part two is, again, our word cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It's this necessary condition. We all have to be born, condition one, and everybody in this room, you know, passed that test. Condition two, we have to be born of the spirit. And so that's the two, two requirements to be, you know, have the, can receive can or see the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's interesting, we, we sort of have this in our minds, let me get this right, we, we have this very American Christianity at times, and I, what I mean by that is a lot of times we intertwine American dream and um, the American way of life with, with what we think Christianity is, and it's sort of Almost like especially 50, 60, 70 years ago, sort of the mindset was, well, you just grew up in America, you went to church on Sunday, and you basically lived this sort of Christian life, and you were set. And that mentality kind of really flowed more back then than now, but we still sort of intertwine, you know, well, American dream is really kind of synonymous with kingdom of heaven. If if things are going well, I have a good job, wife, kids, all this stuff, it's heaven on earth, and I'm now kind of living in, you know, God's, you know, heaven on earth. Manifest destiny, we sort of said the whole world is going to have this, we wrote hymns that actually were almost more American than they were Christian, you know, onward Christian soldier and battle hymn of the republic. So we did all this stuff, and we really have intertwined it. And I don't know that, you know, we have to kind of take a step back from that because that's not what Jesus is saying. So entering the kingdom of heaven doesn't come just because you grew up in a Christian house or just because you, you know, lived in America or anything. Those are not, those are not the steps that result in us you know, being born of the Spirit. And so that's, it's an important thing to, to sort of stri- strip, uh, strip that away from our mindset, because it tends to really cloud our understanding of what Jesus is saying here. And I, you know, I started with the with slogans, and, you know, I, I do like our church's slogan. Not that it matters. If I hated it, there it's, it's still our slogan. But it's a good slogan. It's a good slogan. It's all a slogan. But, you know, loving the world one person at a time. And it's, it's a you know, such a great action motivator for us because it, it really shows us, um, I believe, the spiritual turn to physical, turn to action that this, this uh, you know, the spiritual birth resu- results in. And here's what I mean by that. If, you know, one of the verses that I was thinking of was 1 John 4, 7 and 8. And when I was a kid, it used to be a camp song, you know, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And, you know, it's kind of a circular back and forth verse, but, you know, think about that for a moment. But this verse is telling us is there is one way to love, and it's by knowing God. And so if we are serious about our church's slogan, then there's only one way, and that is to love God first, and then that love of God flows through us as we love the world. Because God is the author of love. So we have to be reborn and connect with God to have a chance of really loving, which then results in us being able to love the world. And they all connect. And similarly, you know, Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, you know, talk about where, where spiritual has to live. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now listen to this one. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Pretty easy, right? So I was driving over here tonight, getting on the freeway, you know, I was trying to get in the mindset of, hey, i got to you know, get up here. So we were, you know, put on some nice little music. So we were trying to merge, and the knucklehead didn't quite let me in, so I had to get in behind him. So I did the only rational thing. I got beside him, and I locked him beside a semi, so he was stuck in the slow lane for a few minutes. And I thought to myself, well, there's a wholesome way to come to this sermon. And, it, it, and, I, and, and here's part of what I say, and why I say this, and I know uh, Jeff has confessed his speed thing. I'm more probably in the other quarter of that kind of rudeness, but here's what's, you know, if you heard my tale, I came to Christ probably when I was five. It's a little murky because I was so young. Been, you know, a Christian now for 46 years. This week, because I was doing this, spent a lot of time thinking about, meditating on these things. And yet, kindness does not come naturally. Think, And it's sort of like, wow. And the reality is, kindness is something that comes from God, the spirit in the putting away slander and malice, the getting rid of that junk. There's only one hope we have and that is the spiritual. We have no hope in the physical. We will not will ourselves into being nice people. And, you know, Jeff was kind. He said I'm a good friend. I can be a porcupine. I get that. And I'm I just try to be better, but it's only through God changing us that we have any hope of living a spiritual life. And then, you know, the other, if you look at uh, Galatians 5, another great passage that, you know, if, you, if you're not getting the flow, it's called, even, we call this the fruit of the Spirit. It starts with 516, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then it goes on, you know, some other verses, but at, toward the end of that, it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And you know what? If that was our list that described us, it would be fantastic. But all of us on that list, we have one or two bugaboos. You know, most of us can pull off a couple of those because, you know, we kind of can look self-controlled even though we're not really. But if you take that list in its entirety, we're not pulling it off. Short of it being the spirit that's indwelling us. And so, if you look at success in the Christian life, there's only one way toward that success, and that is, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, because that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. This is spirit stuff. You have no hope of this without being attached to the spirit. It's that simple. But really, it's not that simple. So, I guess the question comes back to the question we were hitting, which is how do we get from being able to see the kingdom of heaven to actually seeing the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's, you know, it's where I kind of think about this a little bit as well is, you know, I, I very much have this picture of what I kind of call two planes, you know, surfaces. We have the physical, you know, we all touch, feel, and then we have this the spiritual, this, you know, this, the plane of this, where the, the spiritual lives. And we, t- we tend to sometimes try to connect dots. You know, if it's good in the physical, it must be good spiritual. Bad in the physical, bad spiritual. And I, I can tell you that good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. These two planes don't necessarily correlate. That the spiritual is where the kingdom of heaven, you know, it's sort of as we are born into... S- the other plane we now are connected to this new you know the kingdom of heaven and we see things not as the here and now but in the picture of this is Christ's kingdom advancing on earth we are you know tied into this body of Christ that you know with you know, numerous other believers across the planet and you know over the years you know, my wife and I when we travel we usually try to connect to a little local church and it's an amazing thing how you can walk into some church of strangers and you sense that connection, that fellowship of the body, because you're all, op- you're, you're connected in this, this spiritual, and it's not just a bunch of strangers and suddenly, you know, people you don't even understand the language of, and you're like, this is fantastic. And you, you, you sort of wonder, okay, you know, at some point where we step off into eternity, and how that really unfolds, it's, you know, great discussion stuff, but at some point where this, this here and now is over, and we are, you know, in the vast excitement of, the, of, the, of eternity, It'll be great to see kind of how the whole kingdom of heaven, the whole thing just fully explodes. And, you know, it'll be spectacular. I just have no idea what it will be. So, anyway. So, verse 7, I guess uh, we'll keep going here. If, what I wanted to emphasize in verse 7 is this, and that is if, if our only chance of success, well, let me reread verse 7 here. It says, do, me, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And I, what I want you to just take from that is, you know, if, if our only, all those verses we read, our only chance of success in this Christian walk is through being, you know, born again and through the spiritual, the spirit indwellingness. That's our only chance because without that, without that transforming and that empowerment, we're, we're just not going to pull it off. You know, we're not going to gut it out. We might gut it out for a few hours, but it's not going to be a lifetime for us. We'll just we'll fail miserably because it takes the power of the Spirit to actually live the spiritual life. And so that's, that's really the thing that hopefully just threads through uh, so much of what we said. And then sort of tagged onto this is verse 8. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on verse 8 because this is just a phenomenal little add-on. At first you go, what's it doing there? But then I kind of dug into it a little bit, and I go, this, this is kind of a cool, you know, footnote to this passage. And Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So you kind of are thinking, I, I'm gonna, you know, the wind showing us the Spirit. And it says the wind comes from, we're not sure where it comes from or where it goes. And you, you, you kind of look at that picture of, of the wind, and it's just sort of... It's happening, it's irresistible, it's starting somewhere, it's going somewhere, and it's just this extraordinary thing. You know, if you've been watching the Olympics, you see how much the wind is just ripped through the Olympics. You're going, yeah, and all I can do is stare at it. And you look at our lives when the Santa Ana's howl through, it's like they just come through. And it, it, you know, this is giving us that picture of that's this force, you know, we don't see the wind, we see the result of the wind, it comes, it goes, and we're not telling the wind to start, we're not telling the wind to stop. And I, th- I think it's a good, important picture for us, because sometimes in arrogance, we actually think that, oh, we're going to tell God to do this or not do this. And it's like, whoa, whoa. we, we kind of have it backwards here, that you know, the, God moves. God does his will. This, God is sovereign. He is, you know, the king of the universe, Lord of all. It's not up to us to tell God where to move. And that's you know, we, as I say we t- we tend to kind of flip that in our minds sometimes, and then get frustrated that God didn't move quite the way we wanted Him to, and we we get all murky on that. And it's important for us not to forget that. You know, God has a plan and a purpose, and it's not just what uh, it's all about me. He has, you know, this master purpose. You know, as a kid, I grew up Central Valley. I think and I've told some of this, and you know, one of the big activities of the Central Valley is to float down a river. Um, now, I know that sounds riveting, but it is what it is. So you grab a bunch of inner tubes, flotation things. We were good Mennonite kids, so we grabbed the soda. We didn't grab the beer. So we, you'd hang the soda in the, in the Kings River, which is the river that flowed through, and you'd basically start at the one end and just float down the river. Now, the loser kid would bring, like, the squirt, and you're going, who, who invited this kid? But you have these different things, and so you're, you're floating down the river. And here's what we learned is... The way to make it relaxing is to figure out where the current is, get in the middle of the current, and not fight it. If you want to have a miserable time, you try to get out of the current, you try to get to the edges, you do things that don't follow the flow of the river. And now you're going to get tangled in the branches, you're going to get, you know, just a miserable afternoon. But if you get in the center of the current, it was a great time, is Reedley. But it was a great time. And, and it's such, a for me, a great analogy of what we should do in our Christian walk. It's get in the center of the flow. And it's, you know, it's a great, great picture of, okay, the river is moving. It's going. It's not stopping. So your choice is either to fight that or to say, you know what? This is happening. I'm getting in it. And I want you to really think of that picture as it relates to the, the spirit. You know, the spirit is this force, the force that, you know, empowers us as a church, empowers us as people. So our choice is either to fight it or to join it. When, you know, when he's telling us to do things, we can either resist it, or we can say, it's insane, let's go for it. And it's, it's, an, it's such an important uh, thing for us to just realize, if we just join what God is doing, if we just, you know, realize his spirit is moving, and we get a part of that, great things can happen. And so the question that really flows from this, is very, you know, this is almost the Jeremy Couch question of willingness, you know, we all want to want to, but we don't always really want to. And we, a lot of times, are kind of fuzzy on it where, okay, when we're here, this all seems safe. And the, the national dialogue in the last couple of days couples this so well. You know, our, our vice president comes out, and I don't want to be political. Please don't take this as politics. He comes out and is basically called mentally ill because he said he listens to Jesus. And it's a fantastic question of, are we crazy if we think that God tells us how to live our lives? I mean, is that mental illness? Is that craziness? And Because it's a fascinating question because one of the comments was, well, I know I speak to God, but it's a little crazy to think He speaks to us. And I'm going, wait a minute. I'm thinking that's kind of what you're doing as you connect with God and praying. It's, and I understand there's not the, the phone call, but I hope that God directs my life, and I hope that I hear His voice, that I'm listening for His voice. And I don't, well, maybe I am crazy. I'm hoping I'm not crazy. But it's like, isn't this what it's about is to plug into that and listen to God and hear Him? And so it's, I love these kind of dialogues because it really inserts you to the forefront of what is it we really believe? And, you know, back to you know, we, we want to say we believe this, but then that sounds a little crazy. Are we, are we willing to seem a little crazy follow, following Jesus, or is that what we're scared of? You know, it, it's back to, you know, why do we fight letting go and letting the Holy Spirit direct our lives? What are we resisting here? And that was kind of the question to ponder as, as we all sit here, and, you know, what is it in our lives that is keeping us, you know, from really just letting the Holy Spirit drive our lives? And, you know, I was thinking about that a little bit, and I won't make you guys do this in the table thing, but I was thinking about this a bit and saying, you know, okay, fear is something. It's sort of like, okay, it is a little scary to say, I'm not touching anything, God, it's yours. That's, it's easy to say in church, but my goodness, that's a scary statement. Um, Pride, you know, what if our coworkers find out that we think that Jesus talks to us and that we're listening to God's direction? That, we might be tagged as weird. And, and, that, and that sort of ties to that as well. You know, and let's go down this path. Let's say we've tried it in the past and we felt like we got burned. Maybe we followed God or were convinced He told us to do something and it worked out horribly. So now we're a little more cautious. You have all these different things that are keeping us from just being sold out, getting off the couch, not just wanting to want to, but going for it. And so that's, hopefully, you know, as we ponder this, I think that's really the difference between can see the kingdom of heaven and actually seeing it. And I, I kind of put up a final little uh, logical flow here. I'll hopefully you have it come up. So, you know, I'm kind of this kind of a guy. So I was thinking about this. So in kind of a conditional format a bit. So if you must be born again, and if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, and it is a spirit thing, and the spirit does what he wants to. So, you know, if you look at these as the conditions, so you, you, you know, if you're born again and you want to see the kingdom of heaven, and we've been talking and it clearly is the spirit doing his thing in our lives and he does what he wants, you kind of have one conclusion that is, and I said it because the wind is our analogy, you sort of hoist your sail and you let go. It's like, God, it's yours, take it. You know, blow me where I need to go. And it's scary, and I will tell you, I don't know that I'm anywhere near fully hoisting the sail because it's high risk and it's crazy scary. But if the all-powerful, almighty force of the universe indwells us and has empowered us and works through us and lives in us, it's the way to experience life how to see the kingdom and to impact this world and to love others and to have the fruit of the Spirit just flow through us. But it's still scary. so. Hopefully, you know, as you ponder all these things, we can at least peel some of those in, and, you know, get to a point more and more where we are just letting go and, you know, sort of letting the, the push of the Holy Spirit drive our lives. When I requested a song from Jeff, it's a great song, and as I was wrapping this up, he, he was kind enough to, to dig it up, and hopefully you enjoy it because it's one of my favorites.